Hello, and welcome to Schneider Electric Podcast for Everyday Extraordinary Healthcare. Power availability is the most foundational aspect of facility operations, and it's critical to a hospital's ability to achieve its mission. Maintaining high quality, clean power is vital for ensuring sensitive healthcare equipment always performs properly. Patient safety and business continuity depend on it 24-7. And that is the focus of today's show, power reliability and power availability. So we have Judith Sands with us again here today. Uh, Judith is a clinical health IT professional, an author and a facilitator of our 25-member forum of healthcare professionals. Welcome back, Judith. Thanks so much. And it's been a privilege to work with this panel. I know you've been working with a great panel of healthcare industry experts. So we know that power is obviously critical to make sure that we have our systems operating. But what, what was the feedback that we heard around power reliability? The panel shared that power reliability was especially important in developing countries uh, who shared with us the issues associated with rolling blackouts. And some of those were lasting up to six hours a day and the needing to anticipate power shortages. But all of our panelists talked about the need for backup power generation and the costs associated with implementing generators, especially those for smaller facilities. Also, the importance of maintaining backup equipment and truly testing it regularly to be sure that it could take a full power load. Yeah, the loss of power, obviously, in healthcare facilities is going to have a, a huge impact on that organization. So did the panel discuss their plans to prevent things like power disruption? Our panelists were very keen on sharing issues associated with line monitoring to minimize single phasing of the three phasing equipment. But they also talked at length about the importance of having a plan to address power disruption. And there's a, a huge cost implication with, with power issues. And obviously, there's a huge human issue uh, when we lose power in a building. But according to the, the Ponyman Institute study, the cost of a power outage per minute was just under $9,000 per minute. I mean, if you look at that for a, an eight-hour delay, that's around $4.1 million. So it's huge in terms of the impact that it can have on both patient care and also on the cost of the operations. So, Judith, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Okay, so next we're going to be talking with Tony Hunt. Tony is the global marketing manager with Schneider Electric, specializing in bringing power management applications to companies that operate power critical facilities. Welcome, Tony. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. Yeah, I think we've got a really interesting topic to talk about here, especially around power reliability and availability. Now, when it comes to healthcare facilities, we hear this a lot that they are critical infrastructures. But when we're thinking about the power, is the electrical all critical in a healthcare facility? Well, of course, it depends who you ask. But the traditional viewpoint when you're looking at a hospital and the electrical design is they would have loads that are deemed critical and they would be backed up by typically UPS and, and a generator emergency backup system. But Chris, what I think you're seeing happening out there today is you're seeing an expectation from a lot of different stakeholders to have better power reliability for those traditionally non-critical loads. When I think about a hospital, 
I don't think about which areas of it are more critical than others. In fact, the, the second I walk through the door from the lighting to the environmental controls, I think for a lot of people, it's all critical. So, you know, when I think about that, I was like, well, there's the technical answer, but there's also just, I think, the, the human answer, which is if we can consider all of it to be critical, how would we do that? And are there ways to do that? Yeah, that's really interesting. But when we think about, you know, the regulations that are really driving some of these decisions and we're thinking about critical loads and especially around resiliency and availability, and we're thinking of backup types of systems, do we find that most healthcare facilities back up their entire infrastructure or is it just selected areas? Well, today it mostly is just what is legislated, what is traditional, but we are seeing more and more companies that operate healthcare facilities look into becoming what I call more energy autonomous, more power autonomous and have less dependency on the power grid. And there's a number of reasons for that, one of which is the availability of microgrid technologies and capabilities. So what that means is, is that it's more accessible than ever before for healthcare operators and owners to be able to start investing in their own power generation locally, whether that's renewables or otherwise, and using technology to be able to source their own power and become much more resilient by having less dependency on on the grid. So I I think microgrids, you're going to see a a major increase in hospital facilities starting to leverage that technology or that approach to power autonomy. One thing I'll mention, though, that we're also seeing that's helping drive people in this direction is we're seeing more and more that electricity companies are finding it harder to provide the stable, clean, reliable power that that they used to many years ago. I think, ironically, some of it's due to technology and complexity and decentralization. But when it comes to hospitals, you really need to consider your own interests first, I would say, and, and put your patients and your employees that operate and work within the facility first. So, yeah, I mean, you you talk about power reliability there, and it's obviously critical. You know, there's a lot of variable loads inside of a facility, especially in, you know, imaging areas, you know, operating rooms, which are critical. But how would a hospital go about managing or improving their power reliability? Well, it's a good point. In addition to just having power available, there's a lot more that goes into keeping equipment running and being able to do the job they're intended to do. And that comes down to a question of power quality. And one of the trends we're also seeing happening out there is that because the electrical grid or the power grid is becoming, unfortunately, more complex and less reliable, we're also seeing an increase in what we call power harmonics. It's a form of pollution. It's a degradation of the power itself. And when you talk about hospitals, you have a very high density of highly specialized, highly power sensitive equipment. And I think you mentioned some of them, but the ones that we see problems with directly would be blood dialysis machines, MRI and imaging machines. These devices not only require just voltage and current, they actually require a clean sinusoidal type waveform to be able to operate correctly. So one way that hospitals can really start to make sure that they're operating as reliably as possible is to take a real focus on on 
being more power independent and cleaning their own power. And what's great is there are a lot of technologies out there for power conditioning and, and harmonics mitigation. And we are seeing hospitals start to recognize the importance of doing that. Yeah, I, I remember you know working on a facility in the UK where they, they had harmonic issues on the network. And it was always a discussion as to whether that was coming from from the grid or the utility or whether it was actually generated inside of the own facility. So that's something as we move towards microgrids and self-generation is where a facility can actually manage their own uh, power quality. Is that correct? Absolutely. But to be honest, it also puts even more focus on being autonomous and responsible for your own power. So when you mention like, we're not sure if the harmonics are coming in from the grid or being generated internally, in a way it doesn't matter. What matters is they exist and they will continue to exist because of power electronics and digital equipment. So what I think we need to encourage people to do is take more accountability on their own power, and therefore they need to make sure that they're cleaning it, essentially. If you're going to call up a utility and complain about harmonics coming into your facility, you have a much different conversation, longer battle, if you will, than if you just treat the power as if you're responsible for it yourself you need to maintain and manage the quality of power within your own facility. Yeah, that's that's really key. And I, and I think we, we see this as well in, in facilities where we're in a digital world or technology-driven world where IoT is really allowing us to connect more systems. And power is not just one entity anymore. We're seeing that you know the mechanical systems will have an impact on it. The IT systems will have an impact on it. So how, how do you see those systems working together to, to help facilities better manage things like reliability and availability? Well, it, it's a great question, and I think it's one that a lot of people are asking more and more, but it's tricky. And I'll tell you from my perspective why. First of all, the reason you have these designated systems, whether it's a mechanical system for your, your building automation and HVAC control, whether it's your IT infrastructure or your power and electrical distribution. What you need to have is a a fine balance between what I call specialization and domain expertise to properly operate those systems, combined with all of the benefits of bringing them together and unifying them so that you have a streamlined workflow, you improve your operational efficiency. I think that's the sweet spot. So The recommendations someone like myself would make would be to look for basically modern digital platforms. These platforms are usually software-based platforms that can exist either on-premise, what we call the on the edge, but more and more we're seeing a lot of these applications move to the cloud and become available much more readily through different access points, such as your your phone or or your, your tablet. But what you really want to look for is that that blend of specificity, because what you don't want is you don't want generic solutions that really don't properly manage your mechanical systems, that don't properly manage your electrical and IT infrastructure. So I think if I was to describe the perfect scenario, you would want a platform that has sort of specialized entities or subsystems that plug into it and take the benefits of a centralized, unified access and operational for the people, but you don't lose the specificity of what those devices are trying to do in the field and the specialized application and business logic and 
domain logic that comes with them. So we're, we're really looking at that system approach where the mechanical is not going to work without the power and the power is not going to work correctly unless we have the mechanical systems all working, all working uh, together as one system. In fact, you just brought up another good point that I didn't mention, which is sort of having that layer on top. So besides having those specialized use cases, whether you're electrical, IT, or mechanical, obviously, to your point, Chris, what you really want ultimately on top of that is to take the interaction between them to the higher level of benefiting. So when you can see your power consumption and power quality, how it's affecting your mechanical or your IT and vice versa. That would be the ultimate. Yeah, and, and when we're thinking of healthcare facilities, it's obviously about continuity of services. The higher level of service we can provide, it means more care to our patients. But when we're thinking around the power systems in a facility, how, how do we measure uptime or how do we measure reliability? Well, I, I think that the simplest way to do that is, is exactly in the terms you defined. I know that in some industries, including data centers, they do literally track uptime. And you can do this in real time and over time. So the way that it's done in those industries is something called number of nines. It's expressed as a percentage. So basically what you would do is you would monitor your circuits for power availability, and you would start tracking the, the small amounts of time where the power is not present and express that as a percentage. Of course, the goal always is 100%. And when you have your backup systems, your built-in redundancy, that is always the goal. But practically speaking, when you have things like maintenance, then you've got you've to actually accept some downtime and manage that downtime. So when you, when you look at it a little more holistically and a little more practically, it's not as simple as just a percentage. It's more about moving from reactive to proactive, in my opinion, and to leverage technology and information to allow you to plan and see what's coming before it comes. And, and I think the biggest way to reduce your downtime is to be far more efficient in your scheduled activities, in your maintenance activities. And then, as I said earlier, I, th I think a, a real quick win for a lot of critical facilities, including hospitals, and especially hospitals, would be to focus on making sure that your power is also clean, that, you've, that you're doing some power conditioning. Because one of the things that the uptime measuring approach does not take into account is the quality of power. So another way that you can measure power reliability is also through some power quality measurement and tracking that. Unfortunately, power quality is not as simple as a single number, but I can tell you that if you don't focus on improving and tracking your power quality, if you're a hospital, you will eventually regret that because uh, as I said earlier, Equipment is getting smaller and smaller. It's getting more and more digital. We all know that. What that means, though, is they're becoming more susceptible to the distorted waveforms, to those power harmonics. So even if today some hospitals are not aware or experiencing these issues, I can assure you that as we go forward, this will become a bigger issue. And, and you mentioned that. I find it really interesting, especially on harmonics and distortions and facilities. And you know, it's always a very, very specialist 
topic to really look at is is that something which we're focusing on with some of our digital services to to help facilities well yes i mean that's a simple answer as schneider electric of course this is something that we do but one thing that needs to happen first i think is people need to recognize the problem and the potential effects that power quality has on equipment so and i'm sure you've seen it too for for many years in many industries the way people would solve a power quality problem was to replace equipment or oversize something or bypass the problem, which is a very expensive and crude technique. And the reason is they didn't see the problem. They didn't understand that it was actually harmonics that, are, by the way, are very, very easy to mitigate. Today, there are technologies for active correction that are very, very efficient. In fact, they can bring your power quality from quite horrible and heavily distorted to beautiful, clean sinusoidal power that all of that digital equipment, like the blood dialysis machines and the MRI and imaging equipment, that's what they need. Those pieces of equipment need and rely on the power to be beautiful, clean sinusoidal power. And when you feed it heavily distorted power, it's not going to perform as intended. So the first step, I think, is awareness. I think people need to be aware that harmonics are on the rise. It's a growing problem. It's typically invisible. So the first step might be to consult with some power quality experts and get an audit. And in terms of your question about services, I mean, it's not just feet on the ground. What we do nowadays is we use the power quality monitoring capabilities that are often present in your electrical system. And we can use cloud-based analytics, and we can also have centralized experts help basically analyze and diagnose for the customer. I don't think it's practical to expect hospitals to have power quality specialists on staff. This is just not realistic. So the way that Schneider Electric is trying to address this kind of problem is to augment the local facility teams with experts and cloud-based technologies so that we can essentially pinpoint problems and prescribe the solution. But as I said, the irony is that the solution is very simple. Mitigating harmonics is very easy to do. I think it's just people don't realize they have them. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've always looked at healthcare facilities as availability. So you always want to have that uptime. But, you know, as you've brought to our attention here, it's it's also about having clean, reliable power into that system because that's going to impact your continuity of services as well. 100%, Chris. I mean, if your equipment isn't functioning, I'm from Canada. And, and the, the story I remember really well up here was the regional hospital that had to relocate and reschedule all of their patients on blood dialysis at a major, major expense to the province obviously disruptive to the people themselves. And this was all not because of power availability problems. This was because of the power quality problems. So it is real and we are seeing it increase, unfortunately. And I just wish we could get the message out to everybody that there's a very simple fix. You can make those problems virtually disappear instantly. Harmonics correction is a digital thing nowadays and it's instant. It's, it's literally instant <laughs> cleansing of the power. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Tony, really appreciate your insight. So so thank you for that. And hopefully everyone's listening. We can fix power reliability issues. We've just heard it from Tony. So thank you. Hey, thanks, Chris.
Our final segment of the program is our country spotlight. Today, for that country spotlight, we're going to focus on Indonesia. And we have with us today Ferry Kuwanan, who is the segment manager for healthcare in Indonesia. So, Ferry, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to chat with you again. So obviously this year has been a well, it's been a very difficult year for, for every country, but what's been happening in Indonesia? What are some of the, the trends and impacts that you've seen? Thanks for highlighting that. Uh, as you know, that Indonesia is uh, is a very big country. We have uh, we are the fourth populous country in the world. We have about 270 million people. Uh, this pandemic has really bring a massive blow to our healthcare facilities, to our economy, especially uh, because uh, in Indonesia we have a, a lot of proportion of the population is in the middle to low income economies. Our low ratio per bed per population, as well as our low ratio of doctors per population, even before the pandemic, really makes the government have to think very hard on how we actually can come across this and, and really survive this uh, pandemic. So until present, I'd like to, to share with you on our portfolio of our healthcare facilities. Large hospitals with adequate facilities are constructed mostly in large cities in western part of the country. Uh, whereas uh, in the in the less is in, in the remote part of the countries in the eastern part is is not really that that much. Uh, but now looking at this, looking at the, the ratio, they are trying to fix something about it, and they are paying attention to build several key hospitals in the eastern part. The second is actually. Uh, they, they cannot work alone. The government encourages as well private healthcare operators, which is not that much at this moment in the country, to expand their business as well, to improve the these ratios and to, to help promoting healthcare for the people. So maybe the last thing I would like to talk to you is about, in Indonesia, it's maybe different from other countries on how we build uh, hospitals. There are some countries that build uh, hospitals with very large facilities, 1,000, 2,000 beds, whereas here in the country of 17,000 islands spread across uh, the archipelago, uh, it's, it's quite difficult to actually to realize that construction. So we uh, the trend is actually to build smaller hospitals, 100 to 150 beds, uh, maybe three to four operating theaters, and we put as much of them all across the islands and these are the challenges yeah. and what we are doing actually right now to basically to following up these projects uh, across the country with our limited resources this increase or the government's investment in these new facilities is that a direct um, impact from covid or has it been in the plans we have to say it's it's quite a direct impact. Majority of the cost of it is actually eighty uh, percent. Maybe I can say it's because of the, the pandemic, because of the COVID. We are actually start building facilities in February and March and emergency hospitals directly dedicated for for COVID. And we we are really participating from the beginning, from the as early as they built the first emergency hospital, we were there to supply our power distribution, our MV, our LV. Across these seven months, eight months, we have been building a, quite a more serious relationship with uh, with Ministry of Health. Fantastic. And, and, you know, I know when we spoke before, when we look at the, the health system in Indonesia, it's, it's one of the largest, if not the largest, universal um, health systems you know, that's maybe been a bit of an obstacle for private um, medical providers to come in. So have, have the government started to relax some of those regulations? We do have the, the, the one of the largest universal healthcare uh, coverage yeah, and the insurance uh, and cover all. I think uh, f- 
this has just been released for the past six or seven years or so. And uh, during the first phase, there are a lot of issues in terms of uh, reimbursements from the government to the healthcare facilities. And this is why maybe discourage the healthcare facilities to increase their investment here. But I think for the last uh, three years, the, the payments, uh, the reimbursement has been going well. The structure has been there. And we can see private healthcare facilities starting to expand their operations. But I have to say that these private healthcare facilities is still coming from the domestic companies. We haven't seen any uh, significant uh, investment coming from outside the country to really invest in, to participate here in, in the healthcare industry. Okay. And and we mentioned kind of the, the surge capacity in terms of that, that increase in new facilities. And have you seen any trends towards kind of telehealth? Um, as a way to to alleviate some of that pressure on the on the lack of infrastructure. Yeah, I think telehealth is one of the increasing factor, increasing demand here in the country. We have at this moment two startups who have been successfully uh, established themselves as a telehealth provider, which is uh, Al Doc and Al Doctor. Both are coming from private hospital operators. Even before the pandemic, they have been starting to increase their uh, customer base by providing free consultation, free deliveries of medicines from the hospital. So especially after the pandemic, these services have become a really a, a popular hit because most people are concerning about them going to the hospital because of the fear of them getting infected. This is something that maybe I'd like to share with you afterwards. Uh, the fear of getting infected is, is is because of a real threat here in Indonesia. It's, it's, not a, it's not a joke here because just to share with you, one of the things in terms of the standards of compliance in Indonesia is really something that we need to talk about. When we talk about the healthcare facility, we really need to talk about the standards of the compliance to standards as well. And uh, really, uh, it's actually during the pandemic that they began to really understand and really want to improve the standards. And one of the triggers of this is actually we have a lot of medical staff that has been exposed to COVID during treating the patients. And the, one of the reasons of this major reason is actually the lack of negative uh, pressure room controls in, in those facilities. And really, this this real fear has been also uh, infected, of course, the local population as well. And uh, back again, telehealth uh, bring a, a right answer on how we can, they can actually get medical facilities without going to the hospitals. Mm. So, so the pandemic, in in fact, has actually impacted the standards going forward, so that you know we can, you know, make these indoor environments a little bit safer for front frontline workers. Exactly, exactly. And in, in, in these standards, were, were these something that you, that you that Indonesia were looking at before the pandemic, or is this a, is this a direct impact of this? Uh, I have to say again that these standards uh, has been there uh, for all the while, but it's really not really very much enforced in, in the hospitals. And uh, now after the pandemic, I think the ministry took a different action on really enforcing this through their accreditation company, whereby uh, the, government, the government can really take out the accreditation if, let's say, the, the hospitals do not comply with the standards. So when we talk about the standards here and related what to Schneider is actually the one that I mentioned to you about the room pressure for, for, for infection patients, as well as the now they are releasing new standards and regulations for 
power availability and power quality as well in those facilities. So we can see in the regulation offers such as active harmonic filters, such as search resters, such as UPS is there really to be enforced by the hospitals and they need to have these equipments to be able to get the, the accreditation from the government. Fascinating. And you mentioned earlier, so 17,000 islands in Indonesia. So it's, it's, it's quite hard to, or you would think it would be quite hard to enforce some of these standards across all of these different islands. So is, is digitization a means to be able to, to get better compliance? Yep. I think that is something, it's a, it's a good question in a way that one of the, uh, the trends here in the country as well is the terms digital smart hospital is, is now uh, getting to be clearer. People are now less resistant to, to investing on smart and digital hospitals, both government and private. We have done several success stories that we actually preach all over to them and as well to the hospital management levels on how the importance, the values that this can bring to them. And I think within uh, one or two years uh, in the future, we can see a more concrete digital uh, implementations on, on facilities, such as maybe energy management, monitoring, power consumption monitoring. And the ministry have already stated to me, they want to have kind of like utilize this tool as a benchmark of the hospitals. They want to see which hospitals can uh, are performing which hospitals are non-performing in terms of energy efficiency and uh, operational efficiency. So, yeah, I think that's the trend moving forward, Chris. So, so it's a way for them to be able to get better benchmarking across their full, yes. their full facility estate. Yeah, so so I've, I've always, I know when I think of Indonesia particularly, you know, you think of resiliency around kind of climate issues, especially with kind of tropical weather and tropical climate you have there. Has that thinking changed a little bit in terms of what how you define resiliency? When we talk to resilience in Indonesia, I think I would like to, to define these two major categories. One is uh, more like uh, non-human uh, resulted, maybe like disasters, climate change, like what you said. And the other one is actually more like the one that actually caused by, by human errors, lack of maintenance, and then power shortages because of human errors, uh, electrical utilities errors. So in Indonesia, I think the one that really play a part on if you want to be resilient, I think we need to actually pay attention to the one that actually is uh, caused by the human errors. And these are the one that actually uh, contributes the most. And uh, I've been talking with, I think, more than 2,100 hospitals just last week through the Indonesian Hospital Associations and on how they can actually build resiliency using uh, digital offers from our ecosystem for healthcare. And I think when we talk about uh, resiliency in Indonesia, unfortunately, right now we need to take over, pay attention on these human factors. So the digitization and these solutions is a—it's kind of an enabler to to reduce those human errors that are causing issues with continuity of service. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting. Well, Ferry, I want to thank you so much for for you know, your contribution and what you've been doing in Indonesia, and thank you for for joining the show and providing your insight. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thanks for listening to this episode of Schneider Electric's podcast for Everyday Extraordinary Healthcare. You can join us in the coming weeks where we'll be exploring additional aspects of driving resiliency in healthcare, including some topics around cybersecurity and also around asset management. 